Hi, this is Chris from Canopy and Stars. Welcome to A Life More Wild. This episode is about challenge, and both our guests have faced and taken on their very own. In a while, we'll be talking to Lisa Shaw, who is raising awareness for Young Minds UK by swimming 860 kilometres around all the Balearic Islands. But first, we're off to the Lake District to walk with Russ Morehouse. After mental health struggles of his own, a somewhat dramatic day in the office and a lot of thinking time, Russ made a big decision. A keen wild camper, he decided to spend a night on every single one of the 214 Wainwright Fells. There's something lovely about being high up on a mountain, looking down and everywhere and the view below you. Sometimes we're cloud inversions, so I was there above the clouds, so the top of the mountain stuck up like little islands in a sea of clouds, there's just me and my tent and the rest of the world was hidden in the clouds, probably thinking it was a rainy day, but on the top it was lovely sunshine and really nice. What followed was a year of high winds, snowy awakenings and, he's pretty sure, more sunrises than hot dinners. So this is Dubs Road, this is the road where I first had the idea to sleep on all the mountains and realised that when you spend the night sleeping on a mountain it's a different connection that you have to just when you just climb to the top and back down in the day. It's a lovely place to walk, starts with just a gravel path, farm fields on either side, there's cows and on a day like this there's calves up there and it's just like a little lovely entrance to the Lake District. At the moment it's just a beautiful sunny day, long grass and bracken either side and stone walls, beautiful stone walls that have been here for over 200 years in the Lake District. Just in the distance you can see the start of a mountain range, that's Wands Fell, so I've slept on the highest point of that. Alfred Wainwright in 1960 wrote a guidebook for the Lake District that has become legendary and famous and in there he depicts 214 different fells or mountains of the Lake District uh, and describes each one of them. Collectively they've become known as the Wainwrights now. Uh, and Alfred Wainwright himself had a quote which was one of the best ways to get away from other people is to spend the night on a mountain. After that you were never, never again scared by the mountain, but view it as a friend. After the Covid lockdown, starting in March 2021, for the 12 months from that point I slept on all 214 of the Wainwright Mountains in the Lake District. The rules I had for the challenge were first of all I had to climb to the top of the mountain and the second rule was I had to sleep on it so as near to the top as possible but it wasn't always on the top. Some of the mountains had like special places to sleep such as a cave that had been slept in by Stone Age axemen or there was a ledge on Pavey Arc above a hundred foot drop. I had to tie myself on with a rope which is a very exposed bivvy camp 
but great fun, exhilarating. It took a year, if somebody comes along to do it next time, it will take them a year. It's spread over the seasons equally. If I made it easier for myself by doing all the camps in the summer, would have missed out on some really good winter ones. And in winter, I went day without seeing anybody, so the lake isn't, isn't a busy place of some of the tourist hotspots in the little villages are in summer, but the majority of the time it is very wild, still very wild on the mountain tops. This is what I was looking for, you know, there's still wilderness to be had. I sort of knew the Lake District fairly well beforehand, but sleeping on the top is different. And as the year went on, at first I used to think I was climbing up to have a sleep and coming back down. But towards the end of the year, it felt more like I was living on the top of the mountains and I just came down at lunchtime to get some more food to go back up for another night. So the whole perspective changed. Down there on the left is Troutbeck, the really pretty little village in the Lake District. The white painted houses, sort of glistening in the sun. My story is I've been diagnosed with a EUPD, which is Emotionally Unstable Personality Disorder. It's a type of bipolar. In layman's terms, it means you're more like the Hulk. So, like I am today, 99% of the time I'm enjoying myself in the sunshine, and then this other 1%, things get too much for you, and you, you just lose it and become all angry, and you start breaking things that surround you chucking things out you know it's just it's like a bomb going off and obviously it's not nice for me it's not nice for the people you're with either and it can just be caused by various uh, different it's hard there's no known cure there's no known cause either I mean I used to work in the bank and it was a sales job in the bank and one incident where I was just getting pecked about something that was trivial and I just snapped, and this is what this is part of the mental instability that I have. There's no warning sign, I don't know I'm going to do it. So the first thing I did was pick up my laptop and smashed it down, and it broke, and then you're into it, aren't you? So I picked it up again, smashed it again, and a third time smashed it again. And then I got up and I kicked the filing cabinet so hard, I put a huge dent in it, and it could never be opened again because it was buckled. And I slammed out the door and I'm storming out the building and then I set the fire alarm off as I'm storming out, just out of anger. And then everyone has to get up and walk out the building with me, which is even worse. So then I'm walking out the building and everyone else is coming out with me. Went back, it lasted two more years in the job. It didn't get any better. And when I decided to sleep in the mountains, it was just about getting to the start. I just wanted to get, get to the beginning, do one night or a week, see how it goes. And it was the best year of my life, the experience. Just loved it so much. When I'm in the mountains, it definitely feels better. And everybody who comes to the mountains and does mountain walk, everybody knows that the mind is in a happier place in the mountains and it's good for you. So we're just going to go through this gate now and carry on. And we're just going to keep going from around the corner and then the whole view will open up and you'll see a lot of the bigger mountains in this area. The hardest was... Uh, in winter and the storms are coming, I camped through February and the seven storms of February and the weather was just you know, very harsh so 
was camping on Bessie Boots one day, which is a in much love fell, and it was 50 mile an hour winds and snow on the ground, and it was really hard work just getting to the top. And everybody else was running for shelter, and I tried to put the tent up on that one, and the wind was so strong that the pole snapped, and I had to uh, climb out the tent in my underpants in the middle of the night. <laughs> Fix the broken tent pole with a spare tent peg and a wet hiking sock and <laughs> tie it down. Uh, and then I survived till the morning in that one. So uh, that was a very tough and comfortable night. But uh, that was part of the challenge, you know. I wanted to show that the Lake District has everything to offer. You don't have to go to the Himalayas or the Alps to experience extreme weather. We've got it all here if you. Uh, I'm prepared to look for it and find it. I saw loads of sunrises. Yeah, and you see them when you wake up early in the morning to see the sunrise from a mountain top. It seems to be different from when you look in the from your bedroom window because you're higher than the sun often as it rises, and it appears just like a big red fireball in the sky. Some of the mornings it was really like a trans translucent large red glowing objects so and not the the yellow sun that you the yellow circle that you think the sun is at most times in the day you could actually it looked like a, a gas giant this big burning fireball and you're sitting on the mountain top looking at that having your breakfast you just think wow you know you can see a certain real energy about the world uh, now i did a lot of this for you know mental health my own and to raise awareness and to help people feel better, I think it definitely definitely helps people. You know, there's a connection we have. This is we're animals, aren't we? And that's where we originally come from. We're not computers yet. We're not we're upgraded to putting chips in the back of our heads to improve our intelligence. And that solves like the primordial essence of what we really are. Is a connection that just makes you feel better. You know put things in perspective and it makes you realise things that you might worry about when you're you know, at home. Is it something you really worry about when you're sitting on top of the mountain? It just gives you that distance. Yeah, so this is where we've got to, it's the viewpoint. So we're just above Troutbeck next to the pine forest underneath Sallows and from here you can see the Troutbeck Tongue Horseshoe, and it's a magnificent display of six or seven mountain peaks in a horseshoe shape with a Troutbeck Tongue in the middle, just rising a lot smaller than the others. Um, and Threshwaite Col marking the furthest point on the horizon. It's a beautiful spot. Uh, it just looks fabulous. Yeah, and whenever I'm here, I just feel relaxed, isn't it? It just feels like the mountains, you're looking at them, you realise they've been there for millions of years, looking just the same. So everything's in perspective and it makes you feel like timeless. You know, I just really like this feeling of being here in the fresh air and the open. You can hear the birds song in the background and a tractor still going away over there. And it's just, yeah, a beautiful spot. Really, really nice. Before I started this year, you know, I thought where the world is in this country, and a lot of people think this, you know, it's a rat race, people say. And I wanted to see if there was a way of having a different life, if there was a way to do something different. And I feel it has changed me, you know, I feel 
got my perspective differently now. I don't need to earn big money. I don't need to earn millions or be rich because that doesn't really buy you anything. That's only good if you want things that other people make as a bartering system. And the best things I've found in the planet are sort of what's naturally here. So, you know, the mountains, the views, the landscapes. And so uh, for me, I know I can survive very little. And, you know, if you was, if I was homeless, which I'm almost homeless, I wouldn't live in a town centre shop doorway and come and live on a mountaintop or something. So, uh, yeah, it has changed me. And, uh, I'm not sure where I'm going to go, how or what's going to happen next, other than I'd like to find some more mountains to keep sleeping on and keep that going. So you can see there, that's the nearest one's yoke, the Neil Bell and Frostwick. Thornthwaite Crag in the background with a little beacon on. Troutbeck Tongue is that huge mound in the middle. Russ took on his challenge at the highest points he could find, but long-distance swimmer Lisa Shaw spends most of her time at sea level. The calm she finds in the water has helped her through some hard times, including a childhood diagnosis of PTSD. Now she's looking to become the first person to swim around all the Balearic Islands, fundraising for Young Minds UK in the process. It's a total distance of around 860 kilometres and a truly staggering undertaking. Lisa, thank you so much for coming on A Life More Wild. My pleasure. So give us a bit of background. Tell us who you are and about this ridiculous challenge you're taking on. <laughs> um, so most people will know me mainly for being a movement guide or teacher. And I own a, a studio called The Movement House where we work with anyone from off the couch all the way through to athletes, helping them to reach optimal performance uh, to whichever level they're looking to achieve. But the other side of me is uh, I am a long distance swimmer, which I've been since I can remember. I was born straight into water and I haven't left since. And so at the moment, I'm embarking on a challenge to become the first person to swim all five of the Balearic Islands, which is situated in the Mediterranean. And it's a total distance of 860 kilometers. And the challenge is to build awareness of children's mental health and specifically PTSD and trauma in children. And I'm swimming for Young Minds UK, which is the leading children's mental health charity. So why the Balearic Islands specifically? So the Balearic Islands I lived in for a huge chunk of my life. Most people have been on some sort of trip to Ibiza in their younger years um, and maybe remember it for many different reasons. Or not remember it very much. Or not remember it, yeah. <laughs> um, the island itself is, is extremely beautiful and, and surrounded by some of the most incredible waters. The challenge is big and people will say to me, oh my goodness, I can't believe you're embarking on this and you know the waters being in deep water and how wild it must be. But actually the Mediterranean is quite a tame um, sea to swim in and the Balearics don't actually see too much of a change through their kind of tides and um, there's not too many currents or rips around the islands so to be fair they're probably in 
the swimming world, they are probably quite tame when it comes to swimming them. I'm not saying that's the reason that I'm doing that, but it's just somewhere that I was able to swim from a young age and feel quite comfortable in the water. And as I got into long distance swimming, as I got older, I found that swimming these islands and specifically Ibiza, because that's where I was living, was the main support for my mental health. So it had become my tool, I guess, to help me overcome um, certain traumas and PTSD that I, I was going through. Yeah. And so it felt just very natural to, to swim these waters. Is it the meditative aspect of just that sort of rhythmic, the, the swimming, is that how it helps? Yeah. So um, I don't know about all long distance swimmers, but I think most of them will agree with me. When you're swimming these kind of distances, you do get to a point that the swimming just becomes, you know, second nature to you. It's the same as walking. You know, it's like you don't necessarily have to to think about what you're doing once you're once you're in it for so long. And it does become extremely meditative. And there are moments where it is just me and water. There's nothing else. There's no thoughts. And it's just that that sense of feeling of, of gliding and flowing, I guess, like a flow flow like state, which becomes extremely meditative and extremely calming for the nervous system helps to regulate the nervous system and I guess also one of the big factors that plays in that is the breathing you know you're you've got this rhythm to your breathing that you're consistently doing and it's and it's conscious you have to be conscious in it did you ever have lessons or have you just been a swimmer your whole life and never needed them um so my dad was a swimmer and he lived on a boat and actually one of my earliest memories was him scrubbing me with fairy liquid on the back of the boat. He had this really kind of old rickety boat and he would scrub me with fairy liquid in a bucket that was far too small for me. And I kind of would be poking at the top of it. And then he just threw me off the back of the boat. And that was really the first time I'd ever gone into deep water. I was super young at the time. I remember not being afraid. And actually the one thing I remember him saying to me was that fairy liquid is the only soap that you can use in seawater that cancels the salt out. And I remember that being fascinating and forgetting that I'd just been thrown into deep water off the back of this boat. Um, but that was one of my earliest memories of, of deep water and open water. And I just remember absolutely loving it. Then I went into competitive swimming and I was doing competitive swimming for many, many years. And I loved it at the time, but I'm not a competitive person. I didn't have a desire to compete against others. And I stepped away from competitive swimming And then I just went swimming one day. I was only going in, not really with an intention of how long I'd be in the water. And I never thought I'd be in as long as I was. And then before I knew it, it'd been six, seven, eight kilometers. And this just continued happening. And I started to see this really positive effect. And especially when I wasn't feeling my best and I would go to the water because I guess it's my my safe place. It's where I feel most comfortable. And I would find myself just swimming for kilometers and coming back to shore and feeling really connected to myself and feeling really calm and in control of myself. And there wouldn't be any worries and I wouldn't be feeling how I felt when I entered the water. Now I was looking at the, um, it's the Mallorca leg that's longest, isn't it? That the largest island? That's right, yeah. And that's what, London to Manchester? I think I mapped it. Yeah, that's that's right, yes. <laughs> Distance from London to Manchester, which is outrageous. <laughs> Would that be the longest you've ever swum or have you done further than that before? That will be the longest I've swam. And still, we're not too sure exactly how that looks yet. What I'm doing is focusing on one island at a time. So right now, I I need to complete the first island, um, which is 72 kilometers. The idea of that is to try to do it under 24 hours nonstop. And it's an unassisted swim, which means I can only swim with a swimming costume. 
set of goggles and one non-neoprene cap so I can't wear two caps a lot of swimmers who do long distance swimming even when you're in warm waters might wear two just to help with hypothermia because that does set in at some point but for an unassisted swim it's only one hat that you can wear so there's no wetsuit and the idea is, is that you're not allowed to touch any part of the boat the support boat or land until the swim is complete and that counts with you stepping completely out of the water so you have to be on complete dry land for the swim to be complete. So eating and one of the questions I always get asked, where you go toilet, everything is done in the water or treading water. So yeah, so the first swim, that's what we'll focus on first of all. And then once we've completed that, we'll start to look at the next one. There will be a big break in between because there's a big recovery period that I will have to take and then a retrain again because it does significantly go up after the first swim. So you said that 72K one, you're looking at trying to do in 24 hours. So how long do you expect the Mallorca leg to take? Yes. <laughs> so the Mallorca leg will be, yeah, no one swam that distance in one go yet. Right. The idea is you can do an unassisted swim if you stay also. It, it, it is still classified as a stage swim, but you can st- you have to stay on water. So I wouldn't be able to stay on land. So I'd have to stay on a boat and you can sleep for a certain amount of hours and then straight back into the water again to continue. So that is one of the options that we're looking potentially to go down. But again, we won't know until we get to that point. So how did you um how did you get involved with the charity? So um Young Minds, I'd followed Young Minds UK for quite a while um, through Instagram mainly. And the reason I approached them was because they are so active and there's so much action behind the words that they they say. And I've seen a lot of the things over the years that they've said they are aiming to achieve and they've achieved them. The one thing that I'm connecting with them most um, through is the campaign that they're running at the moment, which is to get self-referral hubs put up across the UK. And this is so that children who are needing to speak to someone don't have to go to the NHS and be put on the waiting list because I think at the moment the waiting list is over two years. So these hubs will allow these children to be able to do self-referral and to get the help as soon as they need it. And that's something that really does resonate with me and um, something that I experienced when I was younger was not being able to get that help instantly. So it's great to know that this is a potential solution to that. So I'm backing that campaign as much as possible. So that was one of the main reasons that attracted me to swimming for them. So then did you decide you want to do something for them? Or did you think, I'm going to do all the islands, I will do it for them? You said, which way around was it? So it was, I'm going to do all the islands, and then it was, I'm going to do it for them. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it came to me when I was swimming. I mean, I've been doing this you know, long distance swimming for a very long time at this point, and I'd realized it had become the main support of my mental health. And I tried all different things to um, support my mental health. And, and there's been a few things over the past that have definitely worked and stuck, and maybe I still do now as well. But there was a lot of things that didn't work. And I was trying to find ways that were more wholesome, more connected to nature and were allowing you to feel that you were still achieving something as well. I come through the best ideas when I'm swimming and then I forget them instantly when I step onto land, they're just gone after that. (laughs) And you can't make notes when you're swimming. So, (laughs) you know, it's all up in the head and you've got to try to remember it. And so from that point is where I decided that if I can act as a voice for children, then I thought, well, nothing better than to do a big challenge that hopefully could also bring a wider audience in that would be able to understand and learn more about children's mental health. 
So how long ago was that that you thought of it? How long has it been in the planning? My goodness. Okay, so <laughs> it's been in the planning for seven years. We've been planning this and having an end date or, well, or start date, should I say, um, for the first swim. And that's just been moved over and over again. Um, but we are, fingers crossed, finally going to make it happen this year. So, <laughs> And so after even all the hours and all the miles of swimming, do you still just love being in the water? Is there never a day when you think, I don't want to do this? <laughs> um, pool swimming, I can have those moments sometimes, yeah. But sea swimming, never. Never once have I ever had, yeah, that thought. It's, uh, it's a real exciting feeling for me. And it's something, yeah, I can't wait to get into the water. Just to really depress anyone who swims out there. <laughs> when you're pool swimming for training, how many lengths? Oh, so <laughs> that can vary. So my training um, varies between the beginning of the week, I do less hours. And then by the end of the week, I up it. So I can do anything between six to seven hours in a pool. Um, and in one hour, I'm swimming roughly about three and three quarter kilometers. So just under four kilometers an hour, I swim at the moment. When I'm in the sea, that's uh, it's a whole different type of training completely. The pool is more difficult because you're hitting an end point, you know, so you're kind of you're, psychologically, you know, that you're almost in a bit of a counting, um, whereas in the sea, you, you know, distances doesn't exist. You know, you're just swimming. So I imagine that pool swimming is great, but sea swimming is probably is, is the first love. So is there, are there particular places? Is there a particular time of a moment that sort of captures it for you the whole feeling of sea swimming i spent last year actually swimming four months in uh, fuerteventura the thing with fuerte that i really liked was that it's completely different to the balearics so even though the islands can be similar to some extent it's just completely different it's in a completely different uh, ocean so it's a lot well fuerteventura is it translates into wind or windy so it's a very, very windy island. Um, so the water's a lot, not as calm as the Balearics. It can be very choppy at times, which I kind of like. It puts you on your, your toes because you have to think a lot more. You have to think about all the directions of the wind and the swell and how the ocean is moving. The tides are a lot bigger and you're a lot more exposed. Probably a lot more dangerous as well. It used to be uh, a great white area. So it was known for its great whites there as well. They left after... The seals had left, so that's why they were there. They were there eating all the seals, and the seals left at one point, and then the, the sharks went with them. And they were going to bring the seals back into Lobos Island, which sits just off of uh, Fuerteventura in between Lanzarote and, and Fuerta. And they decided not to because they knew if they brought them back, the great whites would come back. So there's this element of excitement as well. You know, it is definitely a place where I really don't know what's beneath me. So that kind of opens up a whole different avenue to swimming. And I've swam there where I've seen stingrays, swam with a lot of stingrays there. It's a big school of them that kind of live around one of the harbours. And also the landscape is completely different because it's completely barren and it's a volcanic island. You can see the volcanoes underneath of the water as well. And obviously where the lava would have ran down and then where obviously it would have cooled and, uh, and formed all these incredible rock formations. So I would say that Fuerteventura is probably because it is so different to anywhere else that I've swam, I think that's probably one of my most favourite places. And so I'm going to ask the one question I think a lot of people listening to this will be thinking, what about sharks? <laughs> it's funny, actually, I've been asked that a lot recently. Um, 
in the Mediterranean. It's okay. We don't really, uh, there haven't been many uh, sightings there. Although there was a great white sighting prior to lockdown, they had one there, but it was tracked as well. Um, sharks are something that it doesn't bother me. I don't allow myself to think about it, but I also am not afraid of thinking about it. I'm a great believer in if your path is, is set for you to some extent. So if that's my calling, <laughs> then so be it, I guess. But I also find sharks extremely beautiful. And I've had times in the water, one uh, experience where I was swimming, and you're so in tune with what's happening, even in the depths of the water when you're not even sure what's underneath of you, but you're very in tune and you can hear a lot of, even though I have earplugs in, you can still tune into different sounds and so on that are happening. And um, I, I can always hear the boats coming even from a distance. And I was swimming along and I popped my head up and the support boat was next to me. And I, I said, there's definitely something in the water. And they said, well, we'll keep an eye out for you. you know? And I said, 100% there's something here. Anyway, I carried on swimming. And as I carried on, suddenly a school of dolphins just came up rushing next to me and started jumping out and swimming with me. And I mean, it was a beautiful experience, you know, and you have moments like that. And I kind of put sharks in the same category as that, you know, at the end of the day, I'm in their territory. So I just try to respect it as much as possible. If you've been listening to Russ and Lisa thinking about your own personal challenge, remember it's okay to start with something small. Just maybe make sure you get outside for a bit every day and work your way up to living in a tree for a year or cartwheeling the length of the UK. If you want to see how Lisa or Russ are getting on with their adventures, check out the links in the episode notes. Remember to rate and subscribe in your podcast app and we'll see you outside again soon.